0: We've been in a sermon series in the book of Mark. I have loved this series because we are looking at the life of Jesus Christ and, and we've seen so many amazing things that, that God has done and um, Jesus starts out his ministry and he calls disciples and he one of the first things we realize is he doesn't call the people you think he would call like you think Jesus he's God in the flesh, he's God with us and I mean, if he's going to um, recruit his team, he's going to recruit the all-stars, right? I mean, if I was going to recruit a basketball team, I would want, like, Michael Jordan, Shaquille O'Neal. I'd want the A team, right? I want the best of the best. So you think in, like, Bible times, Jesus comes, he's recruiting his A team. He's going to be like Pharisees. He's going to grab some of the Sadducees, and he's going to get the best scribes in the business, and he's going to have 12 of the best, the cream of the crop but he didn't go for that route. I mean he goes to the fishermen, the smelly guys. The uh, the guys that weren't highly educated. I mean, they had education, they had their Jewish education, they knew the law, they would have these things. But I mean, these weren't I mean, if you were just to look at it in the natural, this was these weren't the A team. These were the lowest. These were the trash men. You know, they they weren't the guy, they weren't the lawyers in the, you know, those these were the lowest of the low. And it, a part of that, for me, I don't know about you, as we were going through that, I was encouraged, man. Like, God, God takes those of low stature and does world-changing things with them. And God calls you into relationship with Him. You may be out there thinking, what do I have to offer? I can tell you this, it's not about what you have to offer. It's about what He has to offer through you it's god working in and through us it's been amazing to see that and then we see jesus start his ministry and he's teaching and and he's sharing the truth and his 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 message was repent the time the kingdom of god is at hand the time has come the messiah is here i am the messiah and he's he's telling that there's there's this new way of living that's going to happen there's this this new promise this new covenant that i've made it's in, I, I'm fulfilling the old and giving you the new. Now, it's not the law, it's grace. Turn from your sins. Put your faith in Jesus. And you can have an eternity with him. There's this amazing love and compassion that comes out of jesus and almost every word that he says and then we see these challenges right like he's sharing the good news he's sharing the gospel and those guys that we would look at as like the a team right the pharisees sadducees and the scribes we would think those are the a team these are the guys want to kill him these guys want to get rid of him they can't stand him at every corner they have challenged him at every word they have come up against him and we see it again today. That's what we're going to be looking at in Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through Mark 3, verse 6. So that's where we're going to be. I don't know about you before you jump into this. I need a calendar. I am one of those guys that if it's not on my calendar, it's not going to happen. It's terrible. I, I don't know what's happened to my memory over the years, but you could talk to me literally at 10 a.m. in the morning and say, hey man, looking forward to seeing you at 3 and if my alarm doesn't go off on my phone, I mean, if this thing doesn't beep and vibrate at me, I'll be off working on a sermon somewhere, and you'll be at Starbucks going, where's Matt? I mean, I am desperate for a calendar. Call it scatterbrained, call it, you know, squirrel, whatever it may be, but my brain just doesn't work right. I mean, I, I, when I started off in ministry, the first pastor I worked for, Jim Bricker, God bless him that he dealt with me, he said to me after three weeks of work, he says, Matt, you need to go buy a Palm Pilot. Anybody know what a Palm Pilot is? can am dating myself. All right, kids, a Palm Pilot's like an iPhone, but it didn't work as a phone. It's just a calendar. Yes, it was as big as an iPhone, and it wasn't in color, and all it did was your calendar. Super boring, super boring. But he, he tells me three weeks after working and after I had missed multiple staff meetings, after I had missed multiple meetings with him, Matt, I'm not saying you should get a Palm Pilot, I'm telling you, go buy a Palm Pilot. And so i go and buy this Palm Pilot, and I was amazed. I was amazed at how often I forgot meetings and how often I wouldn't show up to things. I love this thing. It was amazing. It changed my life. I'm not kidding you. It changed my life. It It made me so good at what I was doing. I wasn't missing meetings. I was showing up on time. It was great. Until about six months in, and the software got corrupted. And my Palm Pilot was possessed. I don't know what happened. It was, it was telling me I had meetings with people I didn't know in places that didn't exist. But I, I was so committed and dependent upon this Palm Pilot. I mean, I believed in this Palm Pilot. I mean, my relationship with this Palm Pilot changed at some point and it went from this Palm Pilot serving me to me serving this Palm Pilot. I was serving it. I, was, I would go where it told me to go and do what it told me to do. I ended up in the middle of nowhere in, in Indiana. I'm serious, an hour away from Greenwood where our church was, having a meeting with somebody that didn't exist in a place that was far from where I was. And I looked down at my Palm Pilot, realizing that it hated me and its software was corrupted. And I had found out that I was serving that Palm Pilot. I mean, I was, I was worshiping that thing. It, it told me what to do and I did it no matter where it told me to go or who it told me to meet with. It could have been Elvis Presley in Saskatchewan, and I would have went. You see, that's what legalism does to us. It leads us into thoughts, ideas, and assumptions that are not true or based on reality, the reality of God's grace and God's purpose for our lives. And it directs us from Two places far from God and far from his plans in our lives. That's what we're going to talk about today. You see, Jesus comes up against this legalism over and over and over again. And legalism, this idea is, is taking good things that were created for our good and abusing them, using them for terrible things. And that's what the Pharisees had done. And Jesus came to just blow that out of the water. And he does that today in a powerful way. I said last week, Jesus was the original, originator of the mic drop moment. We have another one of those today as we read his word. Let's pray before we read God's word this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And even now, Father, we surrender our hearts and our lives to it. We submit to your authority your power, your sovereignty. We say, have your way in us, God. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive what you have for us. God, I pray that you would use me. I surrender to you, Father. Give me the words to share in the way you would have me share them for your glory. In your name we pray, amen on sabbath he was going through the grain fields and as they made their way his disciples began to pluck heads of grain now see this was a a normal thing to do back then they would plant these fields with extra for those who didn't have and those who didn't have could walk by the fields and and grab grain as they needed so this was normal the pharisees were saying to him look why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Does everybody know what the Sabbath is? The Sabbath is a day of rest that God instituted to care for his people. Who here knows that we need rest? I mean, we can't go 24-7, right? Like, we need rest to recoup, to, to really just wind down so that we can go about a week. God instituted that. God instituted rest. He actually modeled it for us. In creation, it says on the seventh day, he rested. Not because he was tired. Not because he was winded. Not because he needed a nap. God doesn't get tired. God doesn't take naps. God modeled for you and me what a healthy rhythm is. He, he modeled this rhythm of rest, So, God had this Sabbath. So, these guys are challenging Jesus. Why are they working on the Sabbath? It's not lawful to pick grain on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You might want to highlight that, underline that, put a star beside that. What a statement, mic drop moment. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath, Jesus says. Now he goes into a different story here. Mark transitions into another story, and it's all about the Sabbath too. So stick with me, I'm going to read this one too. Again, And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out immediately, held counsel with the Herodians, and worshipped Jesus. Whoa, 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 that's not what it says, is it? I mean, he just healed somebody. Jesus just took somebody with a withered hand and gave him a new hand. Miracle right before their eyes. I'm sure they just fell down to their knees and worshiped Jesus for who he was. The Messiah had come proving his power and sovereignty over this and this healing. Right? I mean, no. Held counsel with the Herodians against him. How to destroy him. Now, the first thing I want us to kind of mull over is the first point in your notes. God's commands are for our good. We know that God's commands are for our good. The Sabbath was made for man. It was made for us to give us rest. We weren't created for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for us. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. God knew we would need rest. This is why God rested on the seventh day. This is a picture of God's amazing care, loving guidance. It accompanies all of God's commands for us. This care, this compassion, this protection over us. The Sabbath is for our rest and restoration. Our minds and bodies need that rest. And if we don't rest, we pay a price. We pay a price. And I would venture to say that many of us in this room have paid the price for our lack of rest before. And I'm just going to be honest with you. We're in church. I'm just going to confess to you that I am not good at rest. And my body tells me when I am not good at rest. In fact, I'll get really bad sinus infections. I'll get really sick. I get stressed out and wondering what's going on. And so it was probably, probably, I've been in ministry now for about 26 years, and it was probably, I don't know, 12 years into ministry work that um, my dad scheduled a beach house in the summer a week after my father-in-law had a beach house, and he he scheduled it in the same place. And he said, Matt, I was going to do this so you can have, you know, two weeks off of work instead of one, and you guys don't have to travel. And I was like, this is awesome. This is going to be great, right? What I found out was... This week of vacation, as great as it was, was not enough. I would be down there thinking about ministry work and all these different things. And it was about three and a half, four days into that time away that my mind actually started to let go and relax. And I can remember that first vacation, that first two-week vacation. I'm into that second week, and I'm just like, what is happening? I feel great I, I'm not stressed out about anything. I, I feel rejuvenated. I was just like wild. I had this huge epiphany that this is the type of rest that I needed. And it's different for all of us, right? I mean, some people can disengage and just you know go on a three-day three vacation and feel completely reju- rejuvenated. I am really a rookie at vacation, so I need like two weeks, right? It's all different for all of us. And I found out that, that with my rhythm and the different things that I'm in, I needed that time. And I don't, to be honest with you, I, I, I like to work. I like to do things. I don't like being away from ministry. I love preaching. I don't like missing it. I, I love to be in the church. I love caring for people, doing weddings and funerals and counseling and all that stuff. It is, I, I enjoy vacation, but I really, really enjoy the work God's called me to. So it's, oh, it's been very difficult for me. But I know that if I don't take that time, if I don't Sabbath, I will pay a price. God has created us for rest, and it's for our good. I'm surprised there's no amens because your pastor is giving you a green light to rest. Randy, rest. Amen. Right? Josh, rest. You know, not too long. That's too long but take that time that god has set aside and do the rest that he's called us to the sabbath is for our rest and restoration you know prayer draws us near to god and reminds us of our need for him you see the sabbath time was a time set aside for rest but the way that god calls us to rest can be a little different than what we might think a lot of sabbath time was spent in prayer there was this idea of sabbath prayer that we was this Sabbath wasn't just rest. It was, it was a time set aside that we would rest and spend time with the Lord as well. So, what I want to encourage you with is when you take those time, that time to rest, take that time with God. Praying to Him, going to Him in, in the Word, putting on some worship music from time to time, singing along or, or singing those songs that God you know, reminds you of and puts on your heart. The other thing is in sabbath is we can be a part of the church in sabbath together to to you know go before the lord vacation together or spend time with other christians discussing what god's doing in your life we need to sabbath we need to rest on purpose with a purpose a lot of times you can go into rest and relaxation with no purpose or anything else. But if we actually attack resting and Sabbath on purpose with God's purpose, it can do amazing things. I can remember going on vacation and, and before going on vacation, talking with my wife and saying, how can we glorify God most with our families at the beach this year? How can we serve them? How can we model Christ-like love for one another? How can we care for them? And what's God, what can God do in this time of rest in our families, and in our marriage, and in our lives. Rest on purpose. Go to to God's Word. Read our Bibles. It opens our eyes to how God has interacted with His people over the years. It shows us the life of Jesus from four different perspectives. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels. It's an amazing picture of God redeeming and restoring a people unto Himself. These are all amazing, good things. That we can do that draw us closer to the Lord and and we can do those as we rest on purpose for him But all of these good things All of these good things being a part of a church praying the sabbath rest Can become legalistic practices that harden our hearts And build up our pride not our faith And that's what's happened with the pharisees That's that's what we're witnessing as they come against Christ and attack him. Legalism seeks to add to the work of Christ on the cross. It is human works done to earn or merit God's grace or favor. Jesus comes and he says, it is grace. It is by grace alone, faith in Christ alone that you are saved. There's no works that can merit it. There's none of these things. That's the good news. That's the gospel. And that is highly offensive to those who accomplish much for themselves. To say that all of my works, all of my good deeds amount to nothing apart from Christ, that none of those things earn my way into heaven, that none of those things pad my resume is offensive to those who who live in legalism think of it this way walking in to like the biggest museum of art you could ever walk into the most respected museum of art and you're looking at these amazing art pieces priceless like the Mona Lisa and you're looking at this thing and it's you know it's priceless it's amazing but you brought your crayons And you're an amazing artist. In fact, you're the best artist in the world. And and you know what the Mona Lisa needs. So you take out that black crayon and the red crayon and you go to work. I mean, you're about to make this priceless piece of art really something. And I mean, you do your thing. And you're like, yes, now we're talking. The Mona Lisa, I knew she needed a beard. Because everybody needs a beard. Right? Right? that's legalism that's that's what it leads us to you would destroy the art piece and take away all its value that is what we are doing when we think we can add to the work of christ on the cross you see jesus points out to the pharisees legalism by referring to david and his men who ate the consecrated bread that was only meant for the priests god did not condemn david and his men David did something against the law. They ate the consecrated bread and he fed it to his men. But God did not condemn David and his men. The Pharisees knew the story, knew what Jesus was talking about, and instantly were quieted. Mic drop moment. Boom. Man with withered hand, come hither. Healing. Done. God did not condemn David and his men. No one could condemn Jesus for what he was doing. Jesus used this action, which God did not condemn, to show the Pharisees narrow interpretation of the law, and it blurred God's intention of the law. The law was not given to hinder us, to take the happiness out of our lives, to to just gut us of all joy and goodness that the world has and everything else. No, that's not what the law was for. The law was for our protection and care. But somehow these pharisees had taken what was good and protective and and compassionate and made it some some hammer that they just bam slam over somebody's head well you're not following law number 327.4 therefore you're going to die and burn in hell they had this this abusive relationship with something that was meant to protect and care for them so how are some What are some ways that we can recognize legalism in our lives? Because we don't want to be like the Pharisees, right? As we read these stories over the next couple of weeks of the Pharisees being super legalistic and actually accusing God, right? I mean, think about this. They are plotting against God. We'll get to that in the third point, though. But here's some ways we can recognize legalism in our own lives. Here's the first way. When we demand others do what we do, if you demand that others do what you do spiritually, this is how I do it. This is the right way to do it. There's no other way to do it. This is it. You must do it my way. And in fact, you need to wear the shirt I'm wearing, the pants that I have, and my shoes. And put your face like this. That's how you do it. No. When we demand others do what we do, Another way is we constantly compare what we do with what others do or don't do. That's a hard one. That's, what is, uh, I, think, <laughs> I think Dave says, that's when I go from preaching to messing. Go from preaching to messing with, with your stuff a little bit. Because we all compare, right? I mean, this is a hard, this is a really hard one. Because there's this, there's this wicked little Pharisee in all of us? That's just, look at what they're doing. Aren't you glad you're not like them? Did you see what they did? Oh my goodness. Did you read their Facebook page? Did you see that Facebook, the picture that they post on Instagram? Aren't you glad that you're not like them? I mean, we even get to the point where we're like watching TV shows and feeling better about ourselves. You know, ever done that? Watch a TV show you're like, oh man, that's really terrible. I am such a good person. Have you seen The Bachelor? I mean, those people are crazy. I'm not crazy like them. I must be really good. I'm a good person. Go me. Right? That is that is not, that is not what God had in mind. That breeds legalism because it just boosts our pride and what we think about ourselves and the victories that actually God has given us through His grace and mercy and the power of His Spirit and makes it about what I've accomplished in my strength and, ugh, mess, ugly. And we do it. We do it all the time. We need to confess it, get rid of it, and look to Christ. Number three, our our Christian practices, now this this is a tough one too, our Christian practices, all those things I was talking about earlier, are void of joy, hope, and growth. Our Christian practices are void of joy, hope, and growth. There is meant to be joy, hope, and growth in these Christian practices. It is a joy to go to God's Word because it reminds us of the hope that we have in Christ. These things are meant, our prayer time is meant to be full of joy and hope. God has these things for us. And this growth, now I'm not saying that you're supposed to be a different person like every Bible study you walk out and you're some next level spirituality. When we talk about growth here at Mission View or sanctification, the Bible calls it, that is a, a progressive thing that happens over time, over weeks and months and years. That's the kind of change that we look for. And there's great joy and hope in that. But ultimately, our hope is to be with Christ in in eternity, seeing him face to face. So our Christian practices are void of joy, hope, and growth. We can look at our Christian practices or disciplines and see fruit and growth that the Holy Spirit has done over the months and years. The disciplines are just that. They are disciplines. It's like lifting weights. You guys ever worked out before? I mean, you go into the gym, or you put on that video at home, and you do those exercises for the first time, and the next day you're like this. Ugh, leg day. Oh, I'm not going up the stairs. I'm going to work on the first floor today. Right? That's kind of how working out is. Maybe it's going on a run for the first time in like three years. You used to be the marathoner, right? But you go on that first run, and you start off, and you're like, yeah, this is great. And a quarter mile in, you're like, right you have this there's this this pain that goes along with this right it's a discipline we work our way into these things god by the power of his spirit is shaping us up spiritually and it can be painful at times now this leads us to the second point in our sermon today that's this legalism leads to pride and hypocrisy look at it here in chapter 3 verse 1 again he entered the synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. They were willing to condemn Jesus. Let that sink in. I know I mentioned it already today, but we really have to let this point sink in. They were willing to condemn God. Wow. I don't want to be there. good things, good things go bad when they become God things. Good things become bad when they become God things in our lives. Blessings make us bitter when they become idols. God's blessings in your life will make you bitter when they become idols in your life. We are meant to worship God, not use God's commands to elevate ourselves above others. The Pharisees had taken the law and used it as that hammer of condemnation that just crushed God's people. They claimed perfection and holiness while accusing and pointing out everyone else's failures and faults. And it went so far as when Jesus came, Messiah, God in the flesh, Emmanuel came, they were condemning him. And eventually they killed him. That's what legalism does. That's what pride and hypocrisy, that's legalism leading to that pride and hypocrisy goes to. It leads us to killing God, or as if we could. That's where it takes us. This is what happened when God's good word becomes a weapon we use against others. We love the Bible. We love God's word. God's word is life to us. But is life alive to us because the Holy Spirit brings it to life to us and in us. Not because we're awesome, not because I'm better than everybody else, not because I'm great, but because of the work of God. It's how awesome He is. As we read God's Word, I don't know if you caught on to this part of it or not yet, but the Bible is about an amazing God that is graciously and mercifully saving a wayward people from their own sinfulness and wickedness. It's not a story of a few awesome people that respond to his call. We are not the center of the story. Jesus is. God is all about his glory and his majesty. Let me say that again. God is all about 100% his glory and majesty. He is perfect, unexplainable beyond human comprehension. He knows all things. He sustains all things. That is your life, your very breath. It is sustained in him right now, every moment, every second, every molecule. We would just disintegrate without his sustaining sovereign power. That is God. God is perfect in a way that goes beyond perfection as explained and understood by imperfect creatures. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about God's perfection. This means that when God is all about His glory and majesty above all other things, that expression or desire for glory and majesty, being recognized and worshipped, is not a selfish or prideful desire, but is holy and righteous. I hope you're following me on this i want to paint a picture for you of the power and sovereignty of your creator the one who knit you together in your mother's womb we have to wrap our minds around it somehow and we can't do it without god doing it it takes god to know god that means we are desperate for a fresh revelation of the power and majesty and glory of God to undo us, to just break us down so that we can say with Job, I had heard you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see the powerful God, the creator God of all things that stands above and beyond everything and anything we can imagine. Legalism dies right there. The Pharisees had lost sight of God and they elevated rules and regulations and it put them in the place where they were willing to kill the very God they said and claimed they served and loved. Mission view. God is calling us to the foot of the cross where he will reveal himself over and over again in amazing and glorious ways. He will take our minute and small understanding and by the power of his spirit peel back the layers of his glory and majesty and undo us and melt us and change us and grow us and rebuild us and remake us into the people he's called us to be. He's not after your obedience. He's not after your money. He's not after your good deeds and your good doings. God is after your heart. And he will settle for nothing less. He won't settle for a big check. He won't settle for a list of things that you've accomplished. He won't settle for any of those things. The only thing that God will settle for is everything. Every single thing. And everything. Everything is found right here. God is about his glory and majesty. And we were created. We were created to look at that glory and majesty and fall to our face in worship relationship with our creator. The last thing I want to point out in this account of Jesus' life Is that Jesus cares about our sorrows? And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And then he said to them, those Pharisees, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save or to kill? but they were silent you see there was an exclusion in the law on the sabbath that if you were to save a life you should do it and it would be sin not to even though you'd be working on the sabbath the law was made for man not man for the law i love this jesus jesus just walks into the synagogue And he knows that there's all these rules and regulations and all this other stuff. But he doesn't see laws and regulations. He doesn't see limitations. He sees a guy desperate, broken. He doesn't see the Pharisees. That's not his first concern. He has compassion on somebody who's broken and in desperate need of a Savior. I guarantee you this guy's whose hand was healed. He walked out of there with a healed hand. But I'll tell you this, he walked out of there with a saved heart because he met his Savior. Jesus was willing to come under the condemnation of the religious leaders. Jesus was willing to give his life because of his love for you and his love for me. When Jesus went to that cross on Calvary, he knew your name, he knew your mom and dad, he knew if you'd have kids or be single, he knew every thought you would have, every victory you would walk through, and every time you fell on your face. And he still chose to die for you and me. Jesus has a compassion that is unexplainable, a grace that is unmeritable, and he loves you. He's here today, and he's not worried about Pharisees or any of that other stuff. He's worried about you. And He's calling you into relationship with Him. If you don't know Him, it is by grace through faith in Christ alone that you are saved. Trust in His grace, the perfect life that He lived, the sinner's death that He died, and His glorious resurrection three days later. Put your faith in Jesus Christ and it will change your life forever and it will give you an eternity in paradise with Him. And if you know Jesus and you're walking in relationship with Him, he's looking at you today. He's not looking at the Pharisees. And he has compassion on you and me. And he's saying, come closer. Come closer. I am right here. I am talking to you every day. I am with you every moment. I want to show you more of who I am. Open the word. Pray to me worship me give me glory and i will reveal my majesty to you in ways that will blow your mind god is not some distant deity living up on a cloud playing some stupid harp he's a real god who came down and put on flesh and lived as a man he lived a human life he knows our stance he knows our predicament and he has compassion on us mission view let's be a church that run after jesus with everything that we have and trust that god will be god amen let's pray together definitely father we thank you for your word and father that amazing revelation of your love for us your compassion in the person of jesus christ as we study his life God, I pray that you would do what only you can do, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that you would change our hearts, that we would be a people fixated on your majesty and glory. And that fixation would motivate us to go and share that good news with everyone that we meet. Help us to be your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we sing our closing song today.